my govanen melunin, and thanks for tuning in to Speak, Friend, and Enter, a podcast where my sister and I use Tolkien's books to explain some things the movies didn't make totally clear. She's Audrey, the movie buff, and I'm Leah, the book nerd. Let's jump right back in, discussing Frodo writhing in pain before he gets his delicious king's foil. Okay, so now we're back um, to Frodo writhing. Again, as he does. Again, you know, he does that often. Um... <laughs> Okay, this is just a note, like a general observation. Mm -hmm. He's passing into the shadow world. He'll soon become a wraith like them. And I was just thinking of how hilarious of an image it would be with this like tiny wraith. Little, little Just a little baby wraith. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can I give you some trivia about wraiths? Yeah. And it's that they don't have physical bodies. You only ever see them in cloaks. Oh my God. And the cloaks are there to basically give you something to look at when they're being. Shit wraiths yeah (laughs) but you kind of see them when the ring is put on yes like you see them as they once were yes exactly but like their skin is like translucent so you see their like bones yes and we will talk about that um, when we talk about arwen's entrance so like if they didn't if they weren't wearing cloaks they would just be invisible Uh uh-huh like you would not be able to see them Uh at all i hate that i know it's very upsetting it would be a lot easier their their jobs would be easier if they just didn't do the cloaks yeah it seems that way (laughs) But then you'd have, like, floating swords. They don't need the swords. You can't even see them. They just, like, walk up to Frodo and sneak up. And and do what? Snatch the ring. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say, like, put him in a bag. (laughs) They don't need Frodo. They just need the ring. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you want Frodo, though? (laughs) I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. So So Aragorn says this is beyond my skill to heal. He needs elvish medicine. Yeah, so then he sends um, Sam to get a blue flower with red thorns. Blue flower, red thorns, <laughs> blue flower, red thorns. This would be so much easier if I wasn't colorblind. That is literally what I think of every time I see this scene. Same. No, he, it's called King's Foil. Um, and I am wondering if that is something that has a holy origin. Um, it's something that just specifically slows necrotic poison. What's up with this? Do we have more info? Oh, there's so much information about King's Foil. Oh, sweet. And uh, related, we got a question on Twitter from Ash, who is at Spriggan, who asked, are there any healing herbs that would be especially related to Aragorn? Hmm. I'm planning out a tattoo idea. Uh, I know King's Foil is a thing. Not sure if there are more discussed in later Houses of Healing stuff. Mm. And this is cool because she uh, broke her arm and she's going to get a tattoo of the Shards of Narsil over where she broke her arm Oh, with cool. King's Foil because now it's healed. That's very sweet. Yeah. So we're going to talk about uh, King's Foil. So thank you, Ash, so much for this question. There's definitely a lot of herb talk in the Houses of Healing in Return of the King, uh, and the urban question there is also King's Foil. <laughs> it's King's Foil mm-hmm. all day, every day. Mm-hmm. So King's Foil, or Ethelus, comes from the island of Numenor. The righteous Numenorean men, meaning um, Isildur's father Elendil and like the other men who were faithful to the Valar and everything, brought King's Foil to Middle-earth at the end of the Second Age when they escaped Numenor's destruction. It only grew in places where the Numenorians or later the Dúnedain uh, lived or made camp. And oh. by Frodo times, only like the... I'm sorry, it just kind of like followed their essence, and or did they have seeds? It seems like they were, um, they were not purposefully <laughs> planting it, but like shaking a seed out or whatever. Yeah, kind of like how early humans like accidentally domesticated things by just pooping out a seed after they ate it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or like the, it was like there were seeds like in their shoes, yes. like or something, and just 
it, it. Um, nothing says that they what's the word I'm looking for so nothing says that they purposefully planted this yeah. seed or that they cultivated they sowed so sued did they sue it sued it so it seems like it just kind of follows them by accident or by happenstance or by nature I mean that's how seeds are supposed to work by nature so genius um by Frodo times, only the rangers, who are Dunedain, descended from Numenorean men, mm-hmm. know that the plant has healing properties. So it doesn't necessarily have holy properties, but it's known to cure wounds and poison and what is called the black breath in book canon. And that's the bad vibes you get after you face down one of the Nazgul. Like Eowyn oh, and Mary. Eowyn. And yeah. um, they get the black breath after they fight the Witch King. So in book canon, after Frodo is wounded at Weathertop, Aragorn, sorry, Strider, mm. <laughs> pulls out some Athelas from a pouch and he discusses it. And I want to read the passage because it sounds amazing. Is that the thing where he's kind of like choose something? Oh, wait, no, no, this is actually what we're about to get to. Uh, These leaves, he said, I have walked far to find, for this plant does not grow in the bare hills, but in the thickets away south of the road, I found it in the dark by the scent of its leaves. So another example of how a strider is very good at just being in nature. He's like, oh, I follow my nose. (laughs) Uh, He crushed a leaf in his fingers, and it gave out a sweet and pungent fragrance. It is fortunate that I could find it, for it is a healing plant that the men of the West brought to Middle-earth. Athelas, they named it, and it grows now sparsely and only near places where they dwelt or camped of old, and it is not known in the north except to some of those who wander in the wild. It has great virtues, but over such a wound as this, its healing powers may be small. Mm. He threw the leaves into boiling water and bathed Frodo's shoulder. The fragrance of the steam was refreshing, and those that were unhurt felt their minds calmed and cleared. The herb also had some power over the wound, for Frodo felt the pain and also the sense of frozen cold lessen in his side. You wouldn't know that by his reaction in the movie. Seems like it hurts very much. (laughs) But I mean, he was just shoving a plant into an open wound. Yeah, just like, get your thumb all in there. Yeah, it's awful. And one other awesome fact about Kingsfoil is that when it's brewed in hot water, it has a smell that is unique to every individual. Hmm. Faramir smells of dewy mornings of unshadowed sun in which spring is itself but a fleeting memory. Pretty sexy of him. Um, (laughs) Eowyn smells no scent as if the air was clean, fresh, and had never been breathed by any living thing and came new made from snowy mountains high beneath a dome of stars or from shores of silver far away washed by seas of foam. Very specific. It truly is. For for something that smells like nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Smells like the snow scent as if... No one had ever smelled it in the world. As if this whole paragraph of scent. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Tolkien for you. <laughs> and Mary smells orchards and heather in the sunshine full of bees. Smells like bees. Smells bees. <laughs> Bee smell. So that's, uh, that's what we know about Kingsfoil. Cool. There's, there's um, one part that I think is later, uh, a little bit later on in this film, mm-hmm. specifically in the extended version where they see one of the heads of a statue mm-hmm. um, on the ground. I think it's, like, almost near the end of the Yeah, movie. near Eminhead, where they get ambushed by orcs. Yeah, and then there's, like, the sun is shining on the head, and, like, Sam comments and says something like, oh, look, Mr. Frodo, he's wearing a crown. He has his crown, and it's, like, the flowers, like, bloom on his head mm-hmm. when the sun is shining on it. Do you know if that's Kingsfoil? 
I don't. Because I wonder if that's like supposed to be some reference. I mean, we'll get to it. It's, <laughs> it's later on, but I thought it might be related to King's Foil because you're talking about like Numenorean men. And I think that that statue has something to do. With, oh, it's like, definitely the... like from ancient Gondor. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Hmm, we'll... But I'll look into it and uh, we'll figure that if out. there's anything interesting to say, I will edit it in here. <laughs> And if there's nothing edited in here, you know there's nothing interesting to say. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any other like important botany references throughout the lore? I mean, even if we end up getting to them later, I'm just mm-hmm. curious if like King's Foil is like the only important herb. <laughs> Funny that you say that. <laughs> uh, aside from trees, which Tolkien loved so very much, uh, for example, like the party tree in Hobbiton, the two trees of Valinor, the white tree of Gondor, which has its own lineage and family tree, mm-hmm. uh, and King's Foil itself, plants don't serve a real narrative function in okay. book canon. So it's pretty much just trees and King's Foil. Okay. I, do, I did um, make note of two honorable mentions. One is pipeweed. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Which um, has no, like, magical properties except, you know, the vague sort of stress relief that comes from smoking. Mm-hmm. And um, pipeweed was also brought to Middle-earth from Numenor. Oh, they got it all. That's right. I, I've seen it mentioned um, that because, you know, uh, tobacco is like a New World fruit, like it's from the Americas, mm-hmm. and there would be no way for it to be in... England, which is where Middle Earth is, yeah. um, except for travelers from those places, that since potatoes are also a new world food, and they canonically have them in the Shire, and potatoes also came from Numenor, you can pretty much say any new world food uh, is in Middle Earth, and it just came there from Numenor. Okay, interesting. <laughs> uh, the other honorable mention is there are small flowers that grow in Lothlorien called Eleanor, which means star sun. Um, they're golden and silver and shaped like stars. There's a flower that he, uh, Tolkien says they look like, and they're called pimpernels. It's like a five-pointed mm. star-shaped mm-hmm. flower. Um, and Sam really likes them, thinks very highly of them. And later, Frodo suggests that Sam name his eldest daughter after them, and he does. Eleanor? Eleanor. Aww. And she actually becomes a handmaiden to Arwen. Nice. Speaking of Arwen, uh, so this is the part where she comes in riding on a horse looking extremely, like, angelic and mystical. But before that, what's this? A ranger caught off his guard. (laughs) I'll cut that. I just love that line. It's very sexy. It is. (laughs) When she puts the sword under his chin, Mm -hmm. he's like... Oh, hey, bae. So So she looks incredible. White dress. She looks amazing. And I'm wondering is... What is allowing Frodo to see her this way? Is it, like, is he seeing her spirit, essentially? Or is he just tripping balls because he is, like, near death? Because he's dying and now he's high from having a (laughs) psychoactive plant shoved into his open wound. Uh, So we know that in this scene, uh, Arwen is dressed in a much more understated dark green dress like ready for action Mm -hmm. because after she approaches Frodo that's what she's wearing so it's not like she did a fast costume change yeah or that she was actually wearing this white dress with all of her hair down Mm -hmm. um because of the fragment of the Morgul blade uh creeping closer to Frodo's heart he exists half in and half out of the shadow realm whoa yeah uh so you are right he is essentially seeing Arwen's soul 
beautiful. It is very beautiful. <laughs> That's what allows him to see the ring wraiths as like white translucent men mm-hmm. because he has the ring on, so he's like half in, half out of the shadow realm. Oh shit! Yeah, that's cool. It really is. I wonder what Arwen would look like if he was wearing the ring. I think it's the same. Like that, the, she would look like the like white gown. Have that beautiful soul. Interesting. I wore that dress to Renfair, a, mm-hmm. a, a cheap costume reproduction of that the white cor- dress. Is it the white dress, or I thought you had the coronation? I have both dresses. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and I wore that white one to Renfair, and at that time I had long blonde hair, and everyone was like, oh, Galadriel. And I was like, no. No. <laughs> I mean, I get why you think that, but no. <laughs> Okay. So, so we we see something similar in the second Hobbit movie, aka your favorite movie. Yeah, I love <laughs> the Hobbit movies. Uh, Killy, who is the sexy beard, uh, sorry, the sexy non beard, no beard, no beard, dwarf. archer dwarf. Um, he's shot with an orcish arrow, mm-hmm. and he has the same kind of slow black death thing going on Mm -hmm. um and tauriel heals him and that sequence is shot very much in the same way like she's backlit and looks angelic in a way that definitely is not happening for everyone else in the scene (laughs) so uh that scene gets a lot of flack from people who don't like tauriel or don't like the romance between killy and tauriel yeah but um given the precedent that's set by arwen's entrance Mm -hmm. it seems to be that's just the magic of elf healing the magic of elf healing and like the nature of what happens to your vision when you get stabbed yeah it seems that way that's just like you're you're in a liminal in-between place yeah you think Elrond looks all beautiful and sexy like that when he's healing Frodo? I hope so. <laughs> Strangely erotic, but... <laughs> Nothing strange about it. <laughs> so what are the differences between book Arwen and movie Arwen at this point? Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that uh, some other characters from the book are folded into her movie persona to make her like more interesting or badass because she wasn't really all that well-rounded in the no, she sure wasn't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was a love interest of Aragorn's, um, but she, the love story had already happened between the two of them. Mm. So if the, you know, if the movie producers want to sell us on the love story, we have to see them together a couple of times yeah. at least. Uh, so at this point in book canon, we don't know anything about Arwen. <laughs> Strider mentions that his heart lives in Rivendell, but that's all we have because to go my on. Heart is in Ohio. Why do you always bring up Hawthorne Heights? I'm starting to think that you have some unresolved issues about this terrible song. It's just always relevant to the story. my heart up like my eyes, because my heart is in Rivendell. No? All right. Keep going. I'm sorry. We could, if we could do a Weird Al Lord of the Rings thing right now, I would be ecstatic. Please no. <laughs> it's called Rivendell is for lovers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's all we know about... Strider's mystery crush is that she exists. Uh, okay. The stuff that Arwen does during the scene, like meeting Frodo and the boys on the road to Rivendell mm-hmm. and helping Frodo to get to her father in time for healing, yeah. is done in book canon by an elf man named Glorfindel. That's fake. Aww. Glorf. <laughs> Glorf. It means, I, be- I believe it means golden haired because he has very long, beautiful golden, golden hair. Golden head. So Elrond is worried that the gang hasn't arrived safely in Rivendell yet. So he dispatches 
elf riders to ride out from Rivendell, north, south, and west. And Glorfindel happens to be the one who finds them. Okay. Uh, Frodo sees him riding towards them, and the narration says, The rider's cloak streamed behind him, and his hood was thrown back. His golden hair flowed, shimmering in the wind of his speed. To Frodo, it appeared that a white light was shining through the form and raiment of the rider, as if through a thin veil. So this is the same kind of thing that he is seeing Glorfindel's like soul or yeah. grace, because he is straight up dying. Yeah, right. <laughs> so... Glorfindel also sort of heals Frodo. He examines the wound in Frodo's shoulder, and his touch has a similar effect to the Ethelès plant. Hmm. And this makes sense because he's one of the oldest and raddest elves living in Middle-earth. Um, there's not a lot that's known about his backstory, but we do know this. He was born in Valinor during the Years of the Trees, which makes him just a cut above your everyday Joe Elf because he has witnessed the light of the trees. Okay. Later, he was a chief of one of the Twelve Houses of Gondolin, which was a hidden elf city where all the cool swords come from during the First Age, so about 6,500 years before Frodo times. Okay. The hidden city of Gondolin, unfortunately, doesn't stay hidden and is attacked by Morgoth's forces. And we'll talk a lot more about that during a future Deep Lore episode. But the relevant part is that a Balrog attacks a group of elves fleeing the city by a cliffside path. And Glorfindel holds the Balrog off while they run. They fight and Glorfindel stabs it in the stomach and it falls from the cliff. But as it falls, it reaches up and grabs Glorfindel by his long golden hair. Mm drags him down with it, and sounds, they both die. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Every recorded instance we have of a Balrog being killed involves pushing it off a cliff. And then and, that Balrog grabbing and, it. And, and then you it. also die. Yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Don't yeah. ever push a Balrog off of a <laughs> Noted. The, uh, we've talked about this, like I think, in episode one or two, but the Tolkien professor, he has a theory that in order to kill a Balrog, which is just like a being of pure evil, mm-hmm. you have to do an action of pure good, like sacrificing your own life to save other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So don't fight a Balrog if you're not ready for that. Yeah, I'm not that selfless. <laughs> you're probably wondering if he was killed by a Balrog, what is he doing on yeah, the road Yeah, I was Rivendell? actually kind of wondering that. Um, Glorfindel's spirit, as all elf spirits do, uh, go to goes to the halls of Mandos in Valinor. And because of his noble death and the fact that he saved some very important people, uh, he was re-embodied mm. and eventually Manway, the king of the Valar, sent him across the sea to Middle-earth in the mid-second age as an emissary of the Valar. Sounds a lot like Gandalf the White. Yes, some might say. Okay. I love that. So back in the present day, Glorfindel's plan is to continue walking to Rivendell because as with so many (laughs) uh, things that we have seen in the books and the movies, everything's a lot more slow-paced in the books. The movie's like, we have to ride Frodo to Rivendell. It's a six days walk. Um, But in the books, they just keep walking. (laughs) He puts Frodo on his horse Uh um, because Frodo is like capable of walking in book canon after he's been stabbed. He can walk, he can talk. He's doing fine. He's just like 
Oh, fine is a strong word for it. He's alive. He's just slowly succumbing. To yes, and he he loses um, loses like his willpower and his like ability to stand when it gets dark. Basically, depression. Yeah, hashtag depression. That's Frodo is a good picture of depression way way later in the yeah. books as well. Um, yeah. So Glorfindel puts Frodo up on his very good horse, and if a black rider approaches, the horse will book it for Rivendell. And that's what does happen. Okay. So instead of Arwen le- leading a merry chase with, I think, five or maybe nine ring rates. I think it's, it's all nine. Is it? I think you're I right. Because I remember she's like flanked on both sides and one's behind her. It kind of like forms that V pattern. Yes, you're absolutely right. So uh, rather than that, it's all of the fellowship is together until they're pretty close to the ford at which point the Black Riders approach, and then Asphaloth is like, I gotta go, and he runs away with Frodo. Okay, so Arwen is Glorfindel yes, in definitely. this scene. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Glorfindel uh, talks a lot in the Council of Elrond because he's just like a wise elf who has a lot to say, um, and then that's pretty much the last time we see him. Yeah. So it's a, it's a streamlining choice, definitely, to put his actions into arwen's story because it would be a lot to have yet there's no reason to reintroduce him and she needed some more content (laughs) yes absolutely and even like on um a meta textual level Mm -hmm. uh originally tolkien wanted glorfindel to be a part of the fellowship but he thought that with Glorfindel being like so ancient and wise and powerful, and he's just like the best at everything. Why is Gandalf there? Why is Aragorn there? Oh yeah, because it like really overshadows his journey to kingliness. Yeah. So he was like, okay, fine. I need some dumb fuck elf that I can throw <laughs> in this. And Legolas really was like he didn't exist mm-hmm. until he was writing Lord of the Rings, which is. He's got all these decades of lore with all these family trees of elves, and he's like invents this new schmuck to throw into the you, story. You go. I don't feel like going to Rivendell today. Exactly. <laughs> no, Glorfindel's too good. We can't send him. Mm, Legolas. Ooh, you're kind of scruffy. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be it for this episode of Speak, Friend, and Enter. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Those reviews really help people find the show. If you have a question or topic you want us to discuss, please email us at speakfriendpod at gmail.com. You can also check out the show's Twitter at speakfriendpod for official pod stuff. My personal Twitter is at askistwin, that's I-S-T-W-E-N, and Audrey can be found on Instagram at Audrey underscore underscore Lynn L-Y-N. Tune in next time for the answers to questions like how does Arwen conjure the water horses at the Ford of Bruinen and what exactly is Bilbo's life plan? Until next time, Muhu Torgizu Toroguskin. This can be cut out because it has nothing to do with this, but how are potatoes a new world? Potatoes are from South America. What about, like, Ireland being super dependent on potatoes? Uh, It was introduced to Ireland, and then it had a crazy high crop yield compared to the space it takes up. Um, So it was, like, cheap to get, cheap to continue. So they were originally an import to Ireland. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm looking up the history of potatoes. Potatoes. So that was um, Potato Pod. Potato Hour. (laughs) 